this is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with the Master Gardener Hour. Good Saturday morning to you. And I'm here with Casey Klaus of Garden Hood, and she has driven from we're just talking about Garden Hood and trying to figure out if it's in uh, Grant Park or Cabbage Town. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. This is a great winter topic, um, and I'm just like so glad to finally get some good very unusual rare winter interest and talk about those plants oh well i'm very very glad that you asked about this topic because it is something that i think often gets overlooked especially here in the south where um listeners who are further north or in colder climes will probably give us a hard time and roll their eyes a little bit because they think that we don't really have winter but um i'm pretty bundled up today it's hey i just slipped on ice in the parking lot coming in here believe it or not i mean it's cold we we have enough of a winter so that um usually a lot of plants go dormant and a lot of bugs go dormant which is really good um and gardeners tend to go a little dormant too um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a garden that you can enjoy and I think that what gets overlooked is enjoying your garden from inside oh absolutely you know think about how much time this time of year you are apt to spend in your kitchen you know getting ready for Thanksgiving getting ready for the holidays um and one of my favorite views is out my kitchen window of a room my with back a view. garden. A room with a view. It exactly. has to, I think every gardener needs to keep that in mind when they're planning. Yes. Um, and whether you live out in the country or in the suburbs or in the city, um, there are different viewscapes that you can kind of borrow. And they change dramatically in the winter um, when the leaves fall. So I just I think that winter gardening is a great topic and one that often gets underappreciated. I agree with you. You know, we think of Atlanta. The show's broadcast all over the country. We have a lot of listeners in colder climates. Mm-hmm. You know, we have some Texans. We have California. But we do have, you know, a lot of people from the north. And they do. They think of us as being azaleas and dogwoods, and that's it. Right. And it's all fluffy, beautiful, frothy blooms all the time. Um, So true. So true. Tell us, just let us, let our listeners know a little bit about you and how you came to uh, be so involved in probably one of the coolest um, garden stores, nursery, just, it's just a cool vibe and a cool place. Tell us about it. Well, thank you. Um, So... A lot of things, as a lot of things are, uh, some of the best things end up just being pure serendipity. Um, I had been working um, at another nursery here in town, and that I that I applied for a job with, just kind of on a whim, um, mm-hmm. really just for fun, something to do on the weekends, uh, and then got very involved with it. And um, when Gardenhood was formed, it was actually the brainchild of a garden designer a retail nursery manager, and a horticulturalist, like a hardcore plant explorer horticulturalist. Right. So all three of those elements, I think, are still very much prevalent in Gardenhood today. It was laid out, the garden designer um, laid it out to make it feel like a personal garden. Right, right. Um, he, He said that he was tired of going into nurseries and just feeling like plants were just lined up on a shelf. Um, and that you, you, there was no sense of style and design there. 
Well, and it makes so it's, it's brilliant. Right, it's brilliant. Right, it's like going it to makes the container store them. when you and you just see a bunch of crates lined up, and you, you're like, "What is this for?" But then when you see them all in a display, oh my gosh, it makes it so much easier to sort of visualize how you can work these things into your own garden. Right, right. So design um, is very, very important, and um, then also keeping in mind that people are there ultimately to shop. And so we want to make it easy for people to pick things out. We don't want, we, we're very big on signage and making sure that we are very clear about how plants grow, where they grow, tricks that we may have learned by growing them over the years. And also, you know, just like even designating this plant may or may not be suitable for a beginner. Um, right, Because right, ultimately right. we want people to be successful. It sounds like a master gardener plant sale. Right. Except <laughs> on steroids. I mean, right. it's, you know, master gardeners, when we have our yes. sales, we go into so much detail about the plant. Right. Because we really want to educate people. Yes. And that's our mission. And obviously that's your mission. It is. So I was thinking about the customers and the type of clients that you have there. And I mean, obviously, a lot of them are knowledgeable because mm-hmm. they know about you and they come to you. But I'm sure you have some rookies that come in, too. There are. Um, I think, and that actually is something that has changed over the years. We've we've been open now for four years. We opened in October of 2009, which was at the tail end of the of one of the worst droughts that we've had here in the right. southeast in, you the know. The four-year drought. Centuries. Right. Um and it rained the entire fall that we first opened. Um, but the, that first fall, the most people who came in were sort of plant experts. They were sort of the upper echelon, and they mm-hmm. came from all over the place um, because sort of the, the cachet of our owners, our founders, drew that crowd. But what I have been very, very pleased uh, to see over the rest of the three years we've been in business is that we have reached out to complete novices, Mm -hmm. Um, people who live in the neighborhood, people who only come in twice a year to buy edibles. Um, We have not become sort of a pretentious, snobby, you can only speak Latin when you're here kind of place. Hey, I'd be out of there. Oh, um, yeah, me too. (laughs) and, And I tell you something, you know, I'm a master gardener. I love plants. I was a biology major in school. I did not take Latin, unfortunately, in high school because Miss Williams taught it. She was so hard, but I just bought my first botanical Latin book, and I am actually reading it. So I swear on the Bible I'm getting better. I'm getting better at this. (laughs) Well, you know, it's intimidating. I, I make sure that all of our staff knows botanical names and common names, um, and it's helpful because our staff has gardened and lived in different regions of the country. Oh, that's good. So we have different common names for things. Um, But it's also really important that we don't just spout off botanical names to people when they start to glaze over. (laughs) You need to switch back to English. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking winter garden. When's the best time to plan this? I mean, is it too late to plan something for winter if our listeners wanted to get out there and throw some interest in or are they going to have to wait until like next fall well again it depends on what part of the country they're in here in the southeast it's absolutely not too late it is um in fact the best time to plan a winter garden is in the winter right um because again you get totally different lines of sight um once all those 
leafy trees and shrubs have dropped their leaves. Um, you can suddenly you notice you see your neighbor or suddenly you notice, wow, there's a great view, you know, of a mountain or the skyline and you mm-hmm. want to frame that. Um, you may also notice that things are burying in the winter that were just kind of boring and leafy in the summer. So it might be helpful to have an evergreen backdrop behind those. Um, so it's now is a very good time to plan. And if you're in an area that doesn't have snow cover, uh, it doesn't have frozen ground, and doesn't have frozen ground you can plant. Um, it's a really good time to plant, especially trees and shrubs. Anything that's larger, um, planting in a colder season when they're dormant, it's easier on the plant and frankly, right. it's easier on the gardener. Right, right, right. Much easier, much easier. So, you know, if you're going to go, somebody's going to go out and start snooping around their yard, trying to figure this out. Um, you know what I've started doing? I've started taking photographs of holes and places and keeping it on my cell phone so that when I'm going out to nurseries, this is my newest trick. It's brilliant, I think, and I'm sure everybody else has already been doing it. <laughs> but I see these holes, and then I, you know, can fill in when I see things. Mm-hmm. So talk about planning. What should, how to. And that raises an interesting um, conundrum, too, because holes come and go depending on the season right the the hardest thing for me is remembering where my spring ephemerals are the things that pop up for a few weeks in the early spring and then they disappear by summer um and sometimes i just kind of write them off and figure well i'll just plant more next year or you know they will kind of spread themselves around which is kind of handy you hope yes (laughs) um or you i mean i've seen people make little like out of um, bending twigs and weaving twigs into little, almost like little pieces of garden art that you may not even notice once ferns and all kinds of other perennials come up. But they're IDM where your space is. But there. they yeah. hold the space and mark it. Um, and then it, I think it's a great idea to take pictures of the garden throughout the year or make sketches or even just keep a list of, gosh, you know, I noticed that there is a hole between this and that and I need something that's about four feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, two feet wide, and has broad leaves. Okay. So you're looking for that. Yeah. I, well, I want to kind of, we're going to get into some nitty-gritty about plants and everything. But one question that I had, and this is, and when I say technical, it's not technical. For some reason, my hollies this year absolutely have no berries. What? is going on i mean i did i do something wrong in my pruning or did i all of a sudden my male or my female holly die or what's going on the first thing that comes to mind is that the the plants were pruned at the incorrect time if they are pruned either right before like early spring as they're getting ready to set their flower buds if you prune them then you you will cut off the flower buds or if you prune them immediately after flowering, even though they flower and get pollinated, you've cut off the part that's going to make the berry. Because the, the flower on the holly is what turns into the, the berry, so the you're berry. not... Exactly. Yeah, okay. The best time, really, to prune hollies, and it's just so convenient, is right about now. Because you're so pruning it. Yeah, prune you're, it, you're, take it inside, use it as your holiday greeneries, use it in vases, um, on the mantle, on a wreath. You can use the the leaves as well as the berries. 
Um, but now is a good time to prune it because they will flower on the new growth that happens next spring. Right, right. Now, the other thing that could happen, you were right when you to think that maybe something had happened to the male, um, the male pollinator. And the, the males tend to kind of just fade into the background. They have mm-hmm. their flowers, but they don't make berries. They're not quite as pretty. Um, so you may want to check on him if you know where he is. Do you guys ID your plants, male and female, or do you, how does how do nurseries do that? I've Some, never thought about that. A lot of them do, especially now that there are so many named cultivars of of hollies and other burying plants. Um, sometimes it's trickier. With, like, seed growth. Do they have a different name if they're male, female? A lot of them do. For example, um, there is a, um, a deciduous holly, Ilex verticillata. Okay. Southern Gentleman. Okay. Is pretty much the standard pollinator for those. Okay, so there is... Now, but, and then the females are, like, Maryland Red, um, or Maryland Beauty, Winter Red... Um, there are some golden ones, golden okay. boom. But what's interesting to note, so those are all full size. Casey, we're going to take a quick break from Holly's and come back with the Master Gardener Hour in just a minute. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio, with your recovery tip of the day. You might be wondering how to recognize if someone in your family or in your circle has a problem with addiction. Look for changes in behavior, such as more isolation, difficulty with sleep, problems getting along with others, avoiding obligations, loss of money, Uh, loss of time, and loss of interest in things that normally bring them pleasure and help them to feel good. If you have concerns about your loved one, please reach out and get help. There's always someone nearby who can assist you through the 12-step recovery programs or other addiction hotlines. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. Please stay safe during the holiday season. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with Holly Klaus from Garden Hood, and we are talking about unusual winter plants and 
right now, most recently we were talking about this male, female, Hollies, and different names. I just, it's brilliant. I'm glad I learned that. So that's really good. <laughs> um, I guess, historically speaking, let's talk about classic winter interest and how you visualize that because you're a true expert at putting this together so you know we've got unusual plants and we've got classics so let's kind of talk about the classics and then we'll go into some you know really unusual and cool stuff too sure and just because plants get categorized as the classics um does not mean they should be written off as absolutely not uh there are Camellias have been a staple of the Southern Winter Garden since, gosh, the 1700s. Yeah. Um, now they my favorite. Not, they may not be suitable for you know everyone here, all the listeners here. But um, if you are in an area where they can grow, they really are beautiful, and they some bloom as early now as October, and then they last. There are some that bloom as late as April. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that with the classics, so you've got the hollies, you've got um, conifers, camellias, and one that that often gets overlooked because it's smaller. Um, but I think a lot of people have them now, and they some may not even know what they are. Is hellebores, Lenten roses. And that is a great staple for the South. Um, it's evergreen. It is deer-proof. Some of the older varieties will self-seed, so you can have like more. Like crazy. Like crazy. Um, a lot of the newer hybrids are sterile, so you won't get that so much, which some people like. Some people kind of bemoan the fact that they're not just going to populate their woodland garden. Um, camellias, I think, are... Good. They may not be for everyone. There are some tricks to growing camellias, um, and they don't necessarily transplant very well. So pick the spot for your camellia, you know, pick its forever home right away. Um, Which is hard to do for a lot of our master gardeners because they change their mind all the time. Right, right. Well, we we won't talk about that. The garden is always evolving. (laughs) And I've always heard that hellebores are not to be moved. Have you? I have transplanted hellebores. I've dug up and divided hellebores, um, and usually not with too much trouble. Right. Sometimes the little, little seedlings are a little tricky. Right. Um, but once it's established, yeah. Once it's established, they should be fine. I think the trick is to move them while they're still actively growing, okay. not while they're dormant. And so for hellebores, they like the cool weather more. So right. fall and early spring is the time to move those. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of gorgeous hellebores, and I have it them down a rocky waterfall in my backyard and I needed to tarp you know put a net to keep the leaves out for like I can't wait till the last leaf falls so I can get that net off (laughs) but I had to put it like right over some of my hellebores and so I'm going oh my gosh I'm gonna go cut a little hole and let these cut some holes and let them come through the net let them poke through but the um the camellias um they are, they're gorgeous without even a flower on them. And they're such a great evergreen background that I just... They are. And there are so many really great old-fashioned varieties that are, you know, camellia specialist, specialist growers are now starting to kind of bring back into favor. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some that are grown more for their foliage. There's a great one called... Um, 
Pink Mermaid. Oh, I love that. That name. has the has fishtail um, tips on the oh, on I saw the that. leaves. I know it's that really plant. unusual. Okay, you're talking about transplanting my family, my father's family, when they sold his parents, my grandparents' home in Thompson, Georgia. My mother was not selling those camellias, all my grandmothers. <laughs> we went down there. I can't tell you how many trips, and we probably, there were probably 10, 20 gallons. I mean, they were humongous. They were oh, like wow. bald and burlap. Uh-huh. You know, we dug those camellias up, and now they're in my parents' home, and they're like 35 feet tall. Oh, wow. I mean, and they're gorgeous. And they're just from my grandmother's house in Thompson because my mother said, I am not selling those things with the house. Well, and that's the thing with camellias is once you find a spot where they're happy, mm-hmm. let them go. It's yeah. sort of like with gardenias. Yeah. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. you find let, that magic absolutely. spot. Let them go. So those are some classics. Um, you know, the bones of your garden, you know, with these plants, I, I think it's just key to get, you know, the green, the, the basics down. But I think that staples in the garden are you know are important and i think winter staples are such a big key because i mean think about it i mean we live we live in atlanta i mean yeah it gets cold and yeah we have winter and yeah but you i'm outside every day in my garden and i think a lot of gardeners are outside so you want it to be beautiful in the winter i you know, agree so and i i think it's important to engage um the other senses in the winter too because it's darker the days are shorter we tend to be bundled up and kind of Mm -hmm. almost you go through a period of a little bit of sensory deprivation in the winter Mm -hmm. so anything that flowers and is fragrant in the winter i think is so important to have wow fragrant Um, i i don't think about that in the winter no a lot of people talk about a lot of people don't so that's so what about how do you What's the showstopper in your garden that you just, like, love and you would highly recommend to people for? If you are in zone 7 and warmer, I think that every garden, every winter garden should have Edgeworthia. Oh, yeah. Chinese paper bush. Right, right. You get the, the amazing fragrance. It usually flowers here in Atlanta in February. Um, absolutely stunning fragrance. And the plant itself, especially when it's against a backdrop of um, darker evergreens or kind of set out in a woodland situation, um, the flower buds start forming as early as, like, September. Yeah, mine are forming. Yeah. And they're they're, they're they're white. They look like little Christmas ornaments hanging on the undersides of all the stems. They're little clusters, um, little ball-like clusters, and they just glow. Like in the early morning or at twilight, they're absolutely beautiful. And the bark on the tree is very pretty, too. How big do those get? Um, if you never prune them, they can get as large as, like, six by six. Wow. Mine must be stunted for some reason. It's, is it a real slow they grower? They are kind of slow to start. And a lot of, they do sucker. So if you want it to be kind of a lower, shrubby, full plant, um, just let it kind of sucker and get really full. Other people tend to prune out the suckers and almost limit up like a small tree. Yeah, I think that, that's the way I've done mine. Plant underneath it. Um, so the suckers are okay. Will they bloom the sucker part? Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. That's why I cut them off. And in China, you, um, they still use the bark 
to to make paper for official uh, documents. I did and not know that. They they actually like braid the stems because the stems are really pliable, especially those young uh, suckers. Right, right. And they make um, almost like sculptures out of the stems, which just kind of adds to that winter mystique when the when the leaves oh, are off. Oh, that's so cool. Well, mine's I wanted it to be like showcase, so it's in an upper woodland garden, mm-hmm. you know, by a trail that goes through my woods. But I put it. Because I just think they're so cool looking. So that's perfect. But you're right. I never thought about it looking like a Christmas ball, but it really it yeah. kind of does. Yeah. Okay. So what? that's a great showstopper. What else would be a great showstopper? Um, well, I mean, talk about an, an oldie but goodie, the deciduous hollies, the Ilex verticillata. I think that a stand of those, even if that's all that's there, um, is just absolutely stunning in the winter. Um, and if we're lucky enough here in the South to get a little, little tiny bit of snow, I mean, oh, that'd it just be makes those berries pop. Uh, it also provides important habitat and food for animals right, right. in the winter. Um, and I think that's really, really key. Our next show that um, on the Master Gardener Hour is all about berries for birds. I mean, we're going to talk into the nitty-gritty of that. Uh-huh. It's and I just got in the mail a magazine. I don't know if it was Fine Gardening or what, but it was all, it had huge articles about berries. So don't read it ahead of time because I want to tell you all the information from it. But the it just dawned on me why my over at my parents' home, their holly has got so many berries this year. It's because I got all – I totally cut all my berries – for myself and my two sisters off their giant holly bush last year, and this year it is killer. Yep. Okay. It rejuvenated it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm so good. It's so right. good for them, so bad for me. Right, right. Okay, okay. So what else would you recommend? Um, another showstopper that is great for a woodland garden is witch hazel. Oh, yeah. And there are natives, there are hybrids, um, there are ones that are lightly fragrant, believe it or not. A little bit of a kind of a lemony citrus fragrance. Smells like witch hazel. Yes. Have you ever used that when you were a teenager in your did. skin? I did. I did. I'm... Um, one of the earliest to bloom and, and one that we like a lot at Gardenhood because it's good for smaller urban gardens is a dwarf witch hazel called Little Susie. Little Susie. It has bright lemon yellow flowers. And uh... it bloomed in November this year. And it la- the flowers lasted for Four to six weeks. And how big? Five by five. Okay. Which, you know, is a lot smaller than the 12 to 15 footers. Um, And that bright, bright yellow shows up really nicely, even if it's in the back of the garden. So it can be in total woodland garden? Yes. Okay. Now, witch hazels, we find that they they do flower best if they get a little bit more sun than we give them credit for. Good, good, strong morning sun, even a little bit of midday is just fine. Okay, well, that's that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to um, talk a little bit. I love showstoppers because I think one more. Give me one more, and then we're going to, like, okay. move on. We talked about witch hazel, so now um, another showstopper is winter hazel, coralopsis. Okay, coralopsis. And we have, there is a dwarf variety, um, coralopsis. Passiflora, which is going to be about four to five feet by four to five feet. And then there's Coralopsis spicata, which can get quite large. Okay. Sometimes six to ten feet. Okay. Um, is winter hazel related to witch hazel, or is a hazel a part of 
I don't believe they're, they're just in the same to have family. Okay, no. Yeah. Um, interesting name. The cool thing about the Coralopsis, again, watching the buds form, the buds come in kind of different colors. So you get like a lime, a chartreuse, um, pink. They look like these little pink party favors just all over the shrub. They're much, much smaller than the Edgeworthia. They're they're tiny. Um but they're really, really oh, cool. I'm going to have to, do, and it comes in pink. Well, the flowers themselves open to yellow, like a very, very clear yellow. And okay. they hang down from the undersides of the stems, um, similar to Stachyaris, which is spike tail. Right. Um, but they don't make as long a chain of flowers. They're shorter. Okay. Um, and the leaves are also really pretty. They're quilted. So it's, I mean, it's a great shrub. A for quilted all plant. <laughs> this, this, the description is incredible on that. But it's one that I think people overlook. They just don't know it. Um, yeah, I don't know that plant at all. It's very easy to grow. It can adapt to quite a bit of, of sun and also quite a bit of shade. That's good. We're here with the Master Gardener Hour. Casey, this is so fascinating. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm here with Casey Klaus, and we're talking about winter interest in our garden. This is just, we've already talked about it. It's kind of like the perfect time to get this party started and to go out and take a look at your garden, evaluate what you need, and, you know, don't be lazy about winter because, you know, unless you go to South America for the winter and board up your house, then you need to be mindful of what your garden looks like in the winter. Um, we're talking about showstoppers, and the latest is the winter hazel, which is, like, such a cool plant. I, when I look around up in my woodland garden, I mean, I have, like, a lot of hemlocks, a lot of camellias, and it's, I love it, but I need, like, some taller kind of punctuation points or something up there, and, you know, I always think of conifers. I mean, what what kind of direction would you look for for something that's really just like something killer? Well, with conifers, they come, they're so much more than just green. Yes. And some of my favorites are the silvers, the blues and silvers. And I love that. I love that color in the garden. A lot of people are familiar with um, the Carolina Sapphire. Uh, cedar, the Cupressus um, glabra, but there's another one, and it grows pretty well here in the south. It can handle our heat and humidity for pretty well. Let me ask you something, Casey. When you have a woodland garden, every time I touch a conifer that I like, it says full sun, and I'm talking about 
you know, and so they need full sun because you always see, you know, the dyad and all these cedars right. and they need sun. But you you want you'd love to have the look of them in in the woods, right. but but it you just there's just very few that you can come by. There like that. are that's true. There are fewer, and they're not quite as colorful for for a woodland garden. Um, but you can get you definitely can get the texture and the different shades of green. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about Cephalotaxis, the Japanese plum yew. Okay, um, that comes in. All kinds of, of sizes from, you know, the large. I have a lot. I use a lot of you. Yeah. It, it also creeps. Um, and you get the, what I like about that is you get the juxtaposition of the really, really bright lime colored new growth. Oh, against yeah, that darker forest green of the old growth. Um, and then some of them make cones, too. and Or the little berries, right. their seeds that mm-hmm. look like the, the plums. Um, there are also uh, Thuyopsis will grow in the shade. There's a, a really, really cool one that almost looks like coral. It's a small, rounded, two to three foot shrub. Um, and the back sides of the leaves are flecked in white. Oh. So, and it's it's got the fan-shaped kind of whorls. So it's a really, really neat shrub. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there are a few that have yellow in them, like... Um, Lemon twist, which is a cryptomeria. Um, well, cryptomeria, can they go? They and... can handle part shade. Yeah. Okay. They certainly can. And also, Camisipris is a little bit more shade tolerant. Okay. Y'all, I hope you guys have your pencil out and are writing these names down, or you can just put it on pause when you're listening to it on your <laughs> computer, and so you can get some of these these names down. That. So, but back to the silver conifer that you were talking about, and that would be more in an open setting and right. in a sunny area. There's one called Silver Smoke. It's Cupressus glabra Silver Smoke. Okay. And um, it is actually, it's not going to be adaptable to full shade, but it could do a half day of shade. Okay. As long as it gets good, strong sun, either in the morning or in the afternoon, okay. it will be just fine in half okay. a day. Okay. Um, it's handy, too, because it does not get more than about six feet wide, whereas oh. Carolina Sapphire, you know, can get ten feet wide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's another uh, lower-growing thuya for the shade. Thuya. Yes, it's a um, Korean, Thuya coriensis. And the cultivar is Glocka prostrata. Glocka? Glocka. Which means gray. Glocka. And prostrata, you know, low. Right. Um, It's sort of similar. From far away, you might mistake it for, like, gray owl, juniper gray owl. um, But it can grow in almost deep shade. Okay. Okay. Dry. Okay. Does not like to be wet. Okay, um, but yeah, that's, that's a really good. and it's that's a good very for around nice this neck of the woods, soft feathery texture. Okay, that's that's great. I think um, Jim Cox, excuse me, Tom Cox, he is a great conifer expert that lives in Georgia, lives a little outside of Atlanta. Um, he was on the show, and oh my gosh, I mean, and we went up to his garden. It's just incredible how many things from around the world he has and oh, how he yeah. uses conifers in like a southern garden and it just mm-hmm. looks it doesn't look 
contrived. I mean, it is right. gorgeous the way that he uses them. And it's so, I mean, I just think textures. Yeah. it really is all about the textures. And um, the uh, the woman that we get a lot of our conifers from is Flo Chafin. Oh, sure. Um, at Specialty Ornamentals. And she does a lot of work with grafting, too. Um, so you take some of the, the more exotic, uh, conifers and graft them onto rootstock that will grow here in the south. Um, right. Abies firma is another great uh, conifer for part sun to part shade or, or even full sun. And she uses that rootstock a lot because it just it can handle our clay soil and it's just more tolerant of our heat and humidity. It's like Mike Francis when he does his maples that grow. Right. They're, they actually grow here they in do. the south yes i mean how, how brilliant is that right yeah we've had Flo and mike on the show and you just go yeah mm-hmm. it doesn't take too much rocket science to figure out that if it's bred in the south um i'm i'm a you guys know i'm a crazy native plant person i work at the nature center and you know if it's a native I mean, I love all these other plants, too, but, right. you know, they, they're native for a reason. Right. They live here. They live here. Um, so, you know, Atlanta, you know, the nurseries that we have, the, you know, back to the flow, back to the Mike Francis, the nurseries here in Atlanta, I think they – I, that's why I think you guys do such a good job. I mean, you grow things that are going to do well here, and you recommend, and you go that direction. So, I mean, that never comes back to burn you when you're doing business with people because they're happy, and they've got a plant that's going to succeed, and you're giving them the education. So just keep up the good work on that. Thank you. Keep Thank up you. the good work on that. Um what do people like to like buy? I mean, what would they they'll come in and will they do their whole garden with you or do you do a lot of that? There are we we do full garden design services. Um, we also do just we help troubleshoot um, challenging areas. We do pots. A lot of people will bring their hanging baskets, their window boxes, um, their urns from the front porch to us every season and ha- or, you know, twice a year, every year, and have us redo them, um, which is kind of fun because then we get to kind of know them and their style over, over time. Um, Boy, that's a luxury, isn't it? it wow. Is. It's that's, a lot of fun. That's kind of cool. Um, but that's probably how you know you're good friends with Tim. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and we will be honest with people. If if people are doing a huge project and they need, you know, 27 flats of pansies, we will tell them that they can get them much cheaper at a big box store. And that's right. okay. We come to us for the specialty items, the big investment plants that you want to last. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of my favorite questions when people come in for the first time and they say that they don't think they have a green thumb my first question to them is well where have you been buying your plants because it might not be your fault I mean you know think about how well a plant is going to survive after it's been on a semi truck for three days and then it you know sat in a parking lot for a couple of days and the people who were watering it may or may not really even know what it is I mean, we water each and every one of our plants by hand every day or every other right, day. Right. So we just like to tell people that 
they they may have a hidden green thumb. <laughs> well, and you know, and I think it's something that I I work on the Hort line at the extension office, and we always tell people when they're taking their plants out of their containers, you know. Actually, put your glasses on and take a look and see what the plant looks like. Yeah. You know, or before you buy it, better it yet, better yet, take a look, you know, just stick your finger, pull, the, pull the one plant out of the flat and see what it looks like. Yes. And I think that just a little, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure when it comes to buying plants. It's true. You know, you really can find you need to, to look around. And see what's good. So you get everybody going and you get the plants in. And I want to talk about one of the plants that you mentioned and when we were kind of emailing back and forth were cold, hardy succulents. I must have missed that in gardening school because I love succulents and they do well here. And then all of a sudden... You know, you see them, and they're jello, and they're frozen, and, you know, some come back, some don't. So let's just kind of do a whole succulent little minute, because I want to really understand how that works. Succulents are interesting. Um, They kind of became, they had their moment to shine, or started shining um, back when we had the drought here in in the southeast. Here, here. Um, But what's really interesting is that there are some succulents that do need a little bit more water than we think. Um, What's really important is sharply draining soil. Um, Think about out in the desert. They just get drenched with those thunderstorms, but then they dry out. This is when you put your big, your bags of rocks in your soil and get it loose. and And they don't necessarily need tons and tons of fertilizer. They don't need real rich soil. Um, kind of lean soil is, is the way to go. Um, that being said, there are succulents for almost every kind of situation. There are um, little hens and chicks, the Sempervivum, which I even saw some growing um, in Alaska when we were out hiking. So they are really, really tough, but they were literally clinging to the side of a rocky, rocky, sandy mountain. Right. So... Think about that when you're planting them. Don't put them in really rich potting soil. You know, don't stick them in straight clay. Really just kind of give them, like, pea gravel almost. They will live just fine in the in the harshest situations. Um, but then do make sure that they get a little bit of water. So Sempervivum, um, a lot of Sempervivum are cold-hardy all the way to zone 3. Evergreen. Okay. Um, And what's really fascinating is they will change color. Some of the green ones in the winter become red. Um, The sedums are similar, too. There are a lot of extremely cold-hardy creeping stone crop. Right, right. Um, Angelina is a great one. Um, Sedum tetractinum, which is a woodland stone crop, can grow in shadier spots. Um, Camp shaticum. And then you've also got more upright sedums, which would be the, probably the most well-known is Autumn Fire. Right, right. Um, Matrona. And let's see, Sedum Seboldii is a really cool one. That one's called October Daphne. So we're it blooms late. Casey, let us take a little bitty break from this, and we'll be right back with the Master Gardener Hour. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. 
You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio and medical director for the Atlanta Healing Center with your recovery tip of the day. If you have a loved one who you suspect has the disease of addiction, you may need professional help in assisting that loved one into treatment. You may consider contacting your local physician, a clergy member, an employee assistance program director, or other behavioral health or mental health professionals. There are also addiction counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, and professional interventionists who are trained in interventions and in assisting family members with the problem of trying to get their loved one into a safe treatment program. If you have any of these concerns, the important thing is that you reach out and get some professional help. I'm Dr. Susan Blank with your recovery tip of the day. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning. This is Cheryl Linker, and I'm back with Casey, and we're talking about uh, winter gardens, succulents right now. Great example for winter gardening, and they're out there. They're interesting. Tell you know they're they're big time popular in Atlanta. What about a lot of these agaves, sago palms, all these things that I see all over Atlanta? How cold can they go? Well, what's really interesting with a lot of the agaves is that they can go extremely cold, like to zero. Wow. But the key is they don't like to be wet while they're cold. Okay, and they so that's especially don't like to, do. to have, right, like a wet kind of sloppy snow sitting on their leaves. So the key is to plant those. A lot of times I will plant agave, if I'm planting directly in the ground, I will plant the crown a little on an angle and try to build up the soil, almost like a little berm, and you plant the agave It'll look kind of awkward while it's young, but as it grows out, it almost looks like a, a corsage kind of coming a out. brilliant idea. And it will help just keep the, the moisture, and if we have ice or snow, it will keep that from settling on the crown. And just kind of rolls off. Or you that can is also, if we're going to have really, really heavy precipitation um, that may freeze, just take a sheet of bubble wrap or burlap and use, just poke it right on the, um, on the spikes and that will keep the snow from, again, from right, sliding right. down and settling right there on the crown. Because it really, it's not the cold. With the, with the cold-hardy um, agaves, which like agave perii, um, lafantha, gentrii, all those can, can go very, very cold. It's just they don't like being cold and wet. It's like, because you know how cold it gets in the desert. I mean, think about it. Exactly. I mean, it gets down way below freezing very at cold. night. And then, but but you don't have but the it's wet. Dry. 
That makes total sense. So really, th- I think that's a great idea to build it up on a berm. So and you just mm-hmm. you're, everything's just sloughing off. Yep. The sagos, I have two gorgeous ones. They're humongous. I mean, I don't even, you know, you'd be, you'd sell them for a thousand bucks. <laughs> millions of dollars. Yeah, millions <laughs> of dollars. But anyway, I had them in, you know, giant pots. And for years, I would slough them inside in the winter. And then they got so big, I mean, it just, I, I quit. Mm-hmm. And so... We've had a couple – we were Casey and I were talking about this winter. I mean, I think this is going to be like a cold winter for us in Atlanta. I mean, I've actually had gloves and like a coat on this winter <laughs> yet. And – but – so now they're in the ground. Mm-hmm. They're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So the bubble wrap, the burlap, a sheet, a quilt, whatever. And try even wrapping the, the stem in um, old-fashioned Christmas lights, not the LED – New energy saving The ones, ones that put out some warmth. The ones that put out a little bit of heat. Oh, my god! That'll help a little bit, too. I could totally do that. Mm-hmm. And just... And it's pretty. Just the... Com- the uh, okay. Yeah. So, those are going to... And what about the crown on that as well? Just yeah. to keep that whole core... Exactly. Just keep that just temperature Just keep it alive, even if, some of, even if the fronds... You probably will have some foliage dieback. Right, right. Um, but, but as long as that core and the roots are okay, okay. Um, it okay. should come back. Okay, that's cool. Okay, let's... I, we're, I swear, we could do this for two hours, but we only have an hour. <laughs> but I want to... So we talked about kind of tropicals. Um, grasses. Um, they are fabulous in in the winter. They're, they're fabulous all the time. I love grasses. But let's kind of, like, go for the rule of thumb on, like, what your recommendations are for, for some grasses. Then I also want to talk about, you know, the grasses that have already turned brown, mm-hmm. cutting them, and then the ones that haven't turned, you know, leaving them until, like, I guess our rule of thumb is February 1st for cutting back. Do you adhere to that? Yes. Okay. Okay. It, it so. drives me nuts, especially in um, like shopping center parking lots where these grasses could be so pretty all winter, um, just straw colored, and the landscape companies come through and saw them back on December first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason that that is can be detrimental to the plant here in the southeast is that we have tend to have such wet winters, and the grasses, the stems are hollow. And they will fill up with water if you cut them too early, and then it, you just get crown rot a lot of times. Yeah. Well, so, and I think you see that in the plants because the, 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 the centers, you know, right. the, the centers John, disappear. They, they disappear. Yes. Okay. Um, so really, my my rule of thumb and what I tell um, people who are using grasses in their garden for the first time is not to cut them back until they start to see an inch to three inches of new growth at the bottom. And sometimes that's in February. It could be earlier. Sometimes it's April. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as you're seeing that new growth, that means that you're going to, it's going to regrow all in the center and not try to, and not have center die off. So that's when you just make a ponytail of it and cut it back. Right. Um, I think that probably my very favorite grass is um, Miscanthus adagio. Okay. It is a smaller growing maiden grass. It only reaches about three by three. Has a has green um, blades with a very very small 
whitish silver line down the middle. Yeah, I have that. I it's, didn't even know. I've forgotten what it was. But, I, yeah, I love that plant. The best thing about it is that it gets fall color. Right. And it is amazing. Just shades of, you know, violet and copper and gold. And then you get the um, the inflorescence kind of dancing around up on top. It okay. is just. That is, I, you're, I, I agree with you. Do you, when you plant I had this one area in my yard. This is so crazy, but it was dry. It was, you know, hot, and it was, I didn't go there a lot. And I just kind of, like, got this thing going with all these, like, different grasses, and it has turned out to be an incredible part of my garden. Mm -hmm. And I live, like, in a place where we don't have any covenants and people don't tell you what to do. And (laughs) I bought a like a 1930 gas pump that used to be in a Ralph Lauren display at Lenox Square. And it's out, it's oh, yellow, no. and it's out in this this grassy area. Mm-hmm. And I love this part of my garden. It's so much fun. And yeah, the grass is, I mean, they've really kind of gotten out of hand. But it's cool, and it looks great. So, And, you know, the trick with grasses is to know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. I think that grasses should always be incorporated into the garden. Yes. In fact, I don't I don't trust people that don't like grasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think also a lot of people have a misconception that all grasses are pompous grass. Yeah. And yeah. they're not. I oh. mean, you can get tiny little grasses that oh. are very well behaved. Um, and you can also get large ones that aren't going to spread all around. Just make sure you're not trying to shoehorn a large grass into a small space. Absolutely. Um, just I misbought something to fill in in an area where I, ha- I have a. I'm. I don't even know what it is. It's. But I bought. I thought I was. I needed to fill in, but I thought I was buying the exact same grass. Looked the same. Mm-hmm. Filled it in. Three times as big. <laughs> out, moved, gone. You know, it was just, it was just, so you really have to be careful. You do. So for the listeners, all grasses are hollow, right? I mean, isn't that one of the characteristics of, I mean, like yes, a, if it's a grass. Now, there's there's also sedge. And okay, then, well, the sedge. Okay. Right, and rushes, and those okay. are, are different. I'll, but for the most part, yes, once you get down towards the crown, they're all going to be kind of hollow. Okay. So that so you really need to be mindful of what you were talking about on the cutting back. Exactly. And okay. I mean, that goes okay. for the natives as well as... Okay. Um, okay, I got a question for you, Casey. Forget the grasses. Forget anything else. Tell me about your dream garden. Or, or is it... Do you have it, or are you still thinking about it? Oh, I, I think that once I get my dream garden, I mean, I'll probably be dead. Dead. (laughs) (laughs) So my garden, my, I mean, gosh, there are so many, I think that the best gardens are gardens that reflect the gardener's personality. Mm -hmm. I agree. And whether that is subtle and austere or, you know, flamboyant and frothy and just overflowing, well-ordered versus, you know, chaotic. I think that it really, to me, the gardens that I like the best are the ones that have personality that's infused from the people that work in them and love them. I so agree with that. It's very, very true because, I mean, you know, 
most of the people, not all the people that listen to the show, a lot of the people are are master gardeners. A lot of the people are garden lovers that have never had any training. And I think it's very, you know, it you don't have to be one or the other. I mean, you if you like getting out there and, you know, experimenting and trying, you know, or even if you don't do the work yourself and you hire somebody to come in and do it, but you appreciate it, you can have a plan, and it, it's fun. And there's still ways to incorporate personality in, into that. I mean, a good garden designer should listen to how you use your garden and help you reach those goals. And if you are a person who just appreciates your garden from inside in your kitchen, that's where your garden should look the best. Right. I'm going through. I, I've always, always, always wanted and desperately needed a greenhouse now that I had to move, like, two cars out in the street and have a million plants <laughs> in my garage. I said, this is the year. So I'm working with a friend who... Um, is going to build the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So we have been over every square inch of our property trying to figure out where to put it. And we, I have so many different ideas and, you know, it's not that I'm going to be propagating and growing in the greenhouse. It really basically is to keep all my cool plants alive over the winter. And then I can put them back out in the garden. Right. Do do any am I the only person that needs to do that? I don't think so. No, I think there are a lot of people that do that. But we've really had fun, and you want you want it to be part of how you use it and what you're going to do. Exactly. So, are there anything special going on at Garden Hood that listeners need to know about? Um, gosh, this time of year, we, it's funny, you can really tell the real gardeners because anyone who comes out and buys a pot of, of sticks, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know that they've got a vision. Yeah. Um, we usually close for just a couple of weeks in early January and then we usually have a really good sale. Like our only yeah. sale ever is in mid January. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. And our owner, Scott, usually does a couple of really interesting talks about his plant collecting travels. Yeah, we need to get he and Ozzy on this show because yeah. they're just so great. They have they, got stories to tell. Yeah, I've, I've, Ozzy, I've got a couple of cool plants from Ozzy. He's really, really good to bring that back. So where are they? Where are they? Are they in Asia? No, they are back now. Um, they had a wonderful, a hugely successful trip this fall back in um, October. Um, got more, collected more seed than they have, I think, in any other trip. So, yeah, they are both back here in the States right now and um, just cataloging and planting um, all the things that they have. And so they, they need a real greenhouse to propagate they all do, that. And they do, and a lot of hands to help. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, we're doing a lot of propagation and seed planting at the Nature Center because we have a native plant sale. Uh-huh. So, you know, all these rainy Mondays yep. for the last month, Mm-hmm. We've been in the garden, Casey. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and I really learned. I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners have as well. And I really appreciate you being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. And if any of you out there are in Atlanta, stop by Garden Hood and yeah. say hi. Garden Hood is a Love fun, fun place.